Welcome back to The Lighthouse Project, a podcast put together by four women who grew up in Scientology and we are here to talk about it. This podcast is presented to you by Children of Scientology, a collaborative effort which aims to be informative about the issues which have affected the youngest members of Scientology. We have deliberately chosen to use real words to describe our abuse, and in this podcast we will share stories and information, some details which may be upsetting or disturbing to listeners, specifically content involving sexual assault, rape, sexual abuse, psychological and physical abuse, neglect, and general harm. We encourage anyone who's been affected by these types of experiences who wish to talk to someone about it to reach out to a trauma-informed organization in their area. We wish that we had been aware of these resources sooner so that we could have utilized them, and we definitely find them invaluable now. Today, we continue drawing attention to the testimonies that relate to Scientology in the case of the people of the state of California versus Daniel Masterson, where he is defending three counts of forcible rape charged by the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. In our last couple of episodes, we focused on Jane Doe 1's testimony as we discussed the escalation of involvement of Scientology officials in her case after she reported the rape she experienced by Danny Masterson. First, Jillian Swartz, who is an ethics officer, attempted to keep things quiet by issuing a gag order on Jane Doe 1, which is called a non-interbulation order. The purpose of the non-interbulation order is to prevent a person from interbulating or spreading disagreement or disaffection within the group. And he put her through a series of intensive handlings to change her understanding of what happened to her. Despite these efforts, Jane Doe 1 still knew that she had been raped by Danny Masterson. We saw that Jane Doe 1's mother wrote a letter to David Miscavige urging him to step in regarding the mistreatment and mishandling of her daughter's allegation within Scientology channels and, in her view, the misuse of practices against Jane Doe 1. This prompted more Scientology officials to become involved to control the situation. She wanted justice for what happened to her, and Scientology provided no such resolution. Finally, Jane Doe 1, in compliance with Scientology policy, wrote a request to the International Justice Chief, Mike Ellis, in order to ask permission to report Danny Masterson to law enforcement. She asked that the protection be removed from Danny so that she may seek justice for the rape he had perpetrated against her and not suffer the wrath of Scientology's fair game and disconnection practices. However, in response, the International Justice Chief's reply was tantamount to a declaration of war in which he reminds her of the consequences of her actions as laid out in Elward Hubbard's policy, Suppressive Acts, Suppression of Scientology and Scientologists. Jane Doe 1 said in her testimony, That policy is probably the scariest for any Scientologist. It's telling me I will be declared if I go to law enforcement. Now, we only touched on briefly the contents of Jane Doe 1's mother's letter in our last episode, and we wanted to take a look at that in further detail today as it provides so much insight into what's going on at the time and the various elements that were involved. It's Victoria and Miriam who are here today to guide you through. We are manning up the lighthouse. This is a letter that was written by Jane Doe 1's mother when she became fed up, basically, with what was happening in how her daughter was being handled. 
And you can see she's quite distressed through the content of this letter. She's upset. She's angry. And she had expected that things would be taken care of. In Scientology, there's processes for everything. Both her and her daughter would have trusted that Scientology would have this in hand and that, you know, because Scientology is the way to handle everything. Victoria, you were talking about the show Shiny Happy People that you've been watching recently. Yes. And you were seeing all these correlations in your experience. They have their own militarized. It's like the Sea Org, but for super evangelical Christians. It was wild to see. I personally really? have a friend whose husband was there years ago. And it was, yeah, just nuts. Wow. What was it called? They had multiple different names for them. So the Alert Academy. And of course, they're all acronyms. I don't remember what they stand for now. But there was like AI, Alert, oh ATI, and some other ones. And they're all like academies oh that you send your kids to. But the only difference is they're not a billion years. They're like days, weeks, or months at a time or years, depending on how committed you were. Okay. But parents would send their kids, but unknowing their kids were just involved in child labor. They were scrubbing floors, building things, building houses, like very similar. I mean, that sounds very yeah, familiar. It's interesting. And so, so there cool. are so many correlations because they are both cults and cults really operate the same way um you know they vary in detail from one to the other but it's it's very unsettling to see the correlations and the comparisons but not surprising which is also unsettling because it's just they all share these brainwashing tactics and yeah it was weird to see yeah and it sounds like there's indoctrination of children going on there and as you said the child labor and just the involvement because children are so innocent and they don't when they're just placed in something, you know, and their parents just like have just offered them up. And, yeah, like, of course. You, you trust, know, you trust your children parents. Trust you trust to, that they know what's best for you. Yeah. Yeah. And you also don't have any exterior advocacy right. for you. So you're just, you're just innocent and you don't have any means or ways of getting up because you right. put you there, especially if you're quite young as well. And you don't fully understand things and you haven't worked out how to mm-hmm. talk about things mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, but. I am really pleased that there is more and more exposure. Oh, me too. Let's keep bringing these stories out. Yeah. More stories so that we can understand the experience. And it is helpful to have something visual like that that's emotionally impactful. This Victoria and I, we were just talking earlier about how when we talk about traumatic events, Mm -hmm. we tend to just kind of really disconnect from it as Mm -hmm. we're talking about it. And we'll just be very matter of sentence. And we will often disclose things that can be quite, you know, alarming or, you know, someone might feel that they're very traumatic and I mean, and they are, and we're able to relay them in very matter of fact ways. And it's not until afterwards that we feel that emotional mm-hmm. impact of what we're describing. On that note too, I've, yeah. I've read a lot that trauma survivors often don't feel like their trauma is that bad, quote unquote. And I feel like that a lot of the times what, especially like when I'm just sharing my past experiences, I feel like, well, it's not that bad. So it's not, you know, it's not that alarming until I get reactions from people. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I guess that is, it is kind of serious, but I'm so, I'm often disconnected from my traumatic experiences. But that's also, I think that's how our brains protect our, ourselves too, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, as well, like, we had it ingrained in us, like, no H-E-N-R, which is, mm-hmm. like, what Jane knows mentioned as well. No human emotion yeah. reaction. I know I was taught from a very young age, when you write reports, again, this is what Jane does talk about, not including any emotion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so then, so if you're writing a knowledge report about a situation in which you were mm-hmm. harmed, and then you can't put any emotion in there, you're just completely detaching it. I think if that happens a number of times, and there, there are a lot of yeah. processes and systems in psychology that happen. That's true. Event. And another thing, not to get on like this whole tangent, but being ingrained that we shouldn't receive or seek sympathy, that was ingrained in me a lot. Mm-hmm. Sympathy is low on yeah. the home scale. So I, I get very uncomfortable when people offer, it's not even sympathy, but just basic empathy. Or when someone says, I'm sorry that that happened to you, I get uncomfortable with it and I can't accept like mm-hmm. compassion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I can totally understand that. And it feels mm-hmm. weird. It feels like almost false mm-hmm. as well, because like I never experienced yeah. that the whole time. Yeah, me either. Up. In that whole time of growing up in the Sea Orbs, the only person who ever had an emotional reaction to what I told them happened to me was this boyfriend that I had that I spoke Mm. about in a previous episode when I was 15 years old. And he ended up being put on the RPF and then being declared a suppressive person. But when we were initially dating, we were walking around the block of Mm -hmm. pack base, which is what couples would do back then. And he was telling me this story about his dad, who was an OTA, because I was like, oh, what's what's your family like? Mm -hmm. Tell me about your family. He was like, oh, well, my dad locked me in a closet once he caught me smoking so he, he forced me to smoke an entire True. carton of cigarettes and he wouldn't let me leave until I was done and I was like oh wow and suddenly I just felt this earth and tell him what my dad's been to me and so I told him now when I say I told him I couldn't say the words at all I was like oh I need to tell him something and then he was like oh yeah what is it what is it you can tell me and kind of mm-hmm. coaxed it out of me I just said my dad mm-hmm. did something to me and he understood yeah. what I said. And he understood it because he said I was on the EPF with someone, a young girl who's my age as well, who said the same mm. thing happened to her yeah. by her dad. And so he understood straight away because he had already had this previous conversation. So even if I wasn't able to say the exact words, he really understood it. And he just had this emotional reaction. It was like, fucking yeah. asshole or whatever. Showing- like, he was just like, an appropriate like, reaction down. to what yeah. happened. And I remember just feeling yeah. completely blown away. And sorry, it got it so much. Yeah, that's peppy. Yeah, because after I told him, and we kept walking, and I looked out at my hand, and he was still holding my hand. And yeah. I just was like, I think this is what it feels yeah. like to be loved. You stayed with and, you. You shared in theta with somebody. Something that is not, really? you know, light and bubbly. You shared something real no, and raw and he still cared and was still there and, and there with you. That's a big deal. Your first major validation. Yeah. Yeah. That is a really big deal. Yeah, it was the first acknowledgement that included an expression, mm-hmm. an appropriate expression of emotion. That I wasn't even able to express mm-hmm. myself at that time. Yeah, you were seeing it. And yeah, 
And the thing is, I get upset for, I think, just mm-hmm. what I was going through at the time. And then also just the fact that I didn't mention this when we were chatting about it last time, but he did pass away in a very abrupt and tragic accident. And he had gone through years of separation from his family because he had been declared a suppressive person. In the end, he got a couple of years with his family. And then he passed away and sad. It is sad. But I'm thankful for him. I really felt like he was, at that time, I felt um, a lot Mm -hmm. of protection by him. Just being close to him, I felt good. It made me feel safe. I felt protected. And this was someone who, as things progressed, I was denied contact with. And then we were separated. And he was put on the RPF. And then it was just like this whole thing. Then he was declared. Yeah. And then, yeah. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that he yeah. was in my life. So emotions when talking about trauma, I think it goes back a long ways into our experiences of withholding emotion, being denied emotion. Yeah. Basically, horrible things happening to you in a very critical space where you have no, there is no no soft landing anywhere. Right. Even getting in trouble for emotions too. Trauma or things that are negative are just deemed as in theta and and you get in trouble for putting that on somebody's lines or, you know sharing anything negative with them as if bringing them down is a is a crime just for sharing basic human experiences and yeah i feel guilty like i would feel guilty i still i do too i struggle with that too struggle with yeah i feel like i'm a burden if i'm sharing if i'm having a hardship i i very much still have a power through mentality and sometimes have trouble accepting help or asking for help yeah and as well, being given permission, I feel like in this space, we have each given each other permission yeah. to talk about these things. And it feels mm-hmm. more free in that way, because mm-hmm. that's the whole point of what we're doing here. And so that feels really good. But if it's just like an impersonal relationship and I feel I need to say something, mm-hmm. I really limit it. Same. Like a time limit. I check in their reactions. Yeah. Do I have permission to continue? Do they, mm-hmm. is this comfortable for them? Like, I'm just really hyper aware of that. And I try and shut down the conversation and close it off. But I do too. I say, and that's without me. Possible, but still like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I did the same thing. Yeah. Because we were never given permission mm-hmm. for that. So that's something that we're mm-hmm. finding our way. And I think as well, it's also just understanding social relationships a bit more in that way, too. Because I think even if you weren't in Scientology and you had some trauma, you would still maybe mm-hmm. have some hyper-awareness. I don't want to burden people in our experience. It was really, really yeah. hammered in. Yeah. See, that's interesting because if we look at Jane Doe 1's experience, I feel like in a way she's kind of mm-hmm. in that same headspace because she's going through that process and she's doing the things that she's supposed to do. She has been reined in. She doesn't, she's not talking to anybody about it. She has her non-intermulation order, mm-hmm. which is her gag order. And so she's no longer talking to her friends about it. She's really being controlled. And, but the mother now, now the mother is having a real emotional reaction to the way her daughter is being treated. So this letter was written on the 11th of March, 2004. It was addressed to the Religious Technology Center, to David Miscavige. And this is from Jane Doe One's mother. And she says, Dear Sir, 
On January 26, 2004, I wrote the enclosed letter to Tammy Wyckoff. I did not hear back from her, not even an act, which is an acknowledgement to say that she received it. The data I wrote up was horrible and alarming, and the problem is that it was and it is true. I knew no one wanted to hear and confront this cycle, but it had to be confronted. Then, just two days ago, I wrote her a second letter expressing my appreciation because I believed that things were going to get resolved and Standard Tech was in. After speaking with my daughter and getting updated on the latest, I am afraid that things here on the ground appear to be very squirrely. Which is squirrely as in deviating from Standard Tech, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's that trust in the standard tech. Well, if the standard technology is followed, then it's going to work every time, right? But so then if this is something that's not right, it must not be in line with Scientology. My daughter was raped last year. She disclosed it to AO. She went into session and disclosed to her auditor at AO, which is AOLA, the Advanced Organization of Los Angeles. She told her friend... And then he emailed CCN's chief MAA about the rape and never heard back from the chief MAA at CCN. All this happened prior to November of last year. Nothing was done. No one was asked any questions. In December 2003, my daughter disclosed it to me. I exposed the rape via a things that shouldn't be report, which later I changed to a knowledge report. Things that shouldn't be report is... One that's sort of more, I think that there's something wrong with this situation, but you don't have all the specifics. It doesn't have to go by the set format that a knowledge report does. Knowledge report is very like factual and very detailed. Things that shouldn't be can be more of a general. Like, a general I felt like they were more casual statement. too. Yeah, I agree. I've noticed mm-hmm. a scene, it looks like this. So it's a real general overview. And then this goes to the MAA of the organization. I believe it gets put into the relevant person mm-hmm. ethics folder, but because it is like a general thing, it, it is really more for like the MBA to address it. And a copy wouldn't go right. to the person right, right. I've written it about. My daughter wrote and gave her knowledge report about the rape to the church. She got a non-interpolation order and has been sec checked ever since. It has been almost three months of sec checks, and she is on her third intensive. Now, an intensive is a block of auditing hours purchased. So before you go into session, you have to pay up front, prepay your auditing hours. Now, how many 12, hours is it? 12 hours. So this is and that's third a lot of money, intensive. by the way. In case you're hearing, I think intensives for me back in, I don't know, 2006, I think they were like 3500 I want to say, somewhere around that. Yeah, that makes sense. So what is that? Ten and a half thousand? Yeah. Am I doing my math right? Yeah. Ten and a half thousand over three months for somebody period. to tell you to take responsibility for your feelings because you were raped. Let's go back and see. Have you ever raped anybody? Or go back in time. This is what you're paying for with your own money after you've already been assaulted. So you're being blamed. In a previous episode, Victoria, you were telling us about when you're receiving sex checking after your experiences, and it, it, the sex checking was addressing mm-hmm. the child sexual abuse that you had experienced. And mm-hmm. this was yeah. your money that was in a trust fund after your parents had passed away. And that this trust fund was essentially being drained by this auditor who kept asking you these questions. It was the same process. It was sex checking. They went on for months and that you, you were just going back previous lifetime after lifetime to find out 
what you had done to cause the fact that you were then sexually abused as a child, which is madness. The fact that, you know, there there was all of the different layers that go wrong with it, like victim blaming, having to sit in a room for that long under duress, like you're rehashing this trauma over and over and over. And just being in a room in general for that long is exhausting. I'm sure you remember after being in an auditing room Mm -hmm. for even a couple of hours, you are drained by the end of the day. You have nothing left in your body. It's physically and mentally, emotionally exhausting, financially exhausting. (laughs) Yeah. And so you would just be like going all day and take a break for lunch or snack or whatever. But it would just be like day after day. Oh, and yeah. At nighttime, yeah, if I'm like tabbed, in the if I well. was able to get on the meter, yeah. So day and night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you had the metabolism, which means that you do a breath test and you've had enough food yeah. and enough sleep. Because that's important to you in auditing session. You have to have Rude. enough sleep and have enough food. Yeah. Yeah, be well yeah. rested. Yeah. Mm, your rudiments. So they do check that. I don't want anyone to get the impression that we're... Saying no, you're held no. in a room and being deprived of sleep and food, but but yeah. but so you are. I mean, you do have those things, yeah. Fine, but it's it's day and night, yeah, and it's very intensive. This is crimes that yeah. are being perpetrated against a child mm-hmm. under the guise of religious spiritual mm-hmm. help. Not only were there crimes that were committed against you as a child mm-hmm. by a male mm-hmm. perpetrator of child sexual abuse. But there was crimes committed yes. in this fraudulent way by this auditor. And you mentioned Victoria later on. You went and yes. lived with this person as yeah. well at some stage. Uh, so I just got the feeling from my, that that person really felt almost like they owned you. There Another layer to this, because I did not have contact with my birth mom because I was adopted in infancy. So this particular auditor had become kind of a mother figure for me. And we were very close. So that was also very confusing and muddled a lot because I really did consider her to be kind of a second mom during that time of my life. And I I can see that. And that adds a different layer being audited and sharing these, not only sharing these details, but being asked very intrusive, often embarrassing questions. It's just a different layer of being confused with adult relationships and intimacy with adults me and Alice yeah oh my goodness yeah yes and you know it's interesting I I don't think I even realized that until this moment as I'm processing out loud and like thinking about it because I already had very muddled ideas of intimacy from my sexual abuse and then you add this other layer too so yeah it was very odd And they're both abusive. They're, they're both intimately yeah. abusive. Auditors totally. were grooming kids in a way. And I don't want to throw that word around lightly, but I do feel like that's what happened to me in my particular. Yeah. And like not to go too much into those details either, but I think I, I got it pretty, pretty intensely because the person that had abused me as a child, I also saw as a father figure. So those parental things got really blurred and yeah very confusing and i wonder then just to understand mm-hmm. boundaries like your own mm-hmm. your right to have your own boundaries i imagine would be 
a long process. It is still a long process. Yeah, after therapy, and I've learned a lot about myself. But this is over, I want to say, maybe a decade since I've kind of been out. And, and I'm still dealing with it day to day of boundaries and knowing what is appropriate boundaries for myself and for others. It's very confusing. Right. I can totally understand that. Yeah. And I can relate that to some of my own experiences as well. Just from coming out of Scientology, you know, there's like a whole long process. So it was probably about when I was around 26 that I started making that shift of like, oh, mm-hmm. I can make some choices for myself and start to recognize how does that feel? So it's so simple, just, just basic human rights. And yeah. Yeah. It just takes time. And it's a wild ride. It is. Kind of fun. Yeah. It's fun now to be where we are. And you know, some of these so, things I can laugh at. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I can't believe that. I, I believe this. A lot of the things about it are kind of funny. You know, you have to laugh at some of it sometimes. I agree. And what I love about that too is it's such a rejection of, mm-hmm. you know, things that we are taught. Totally. How we used to think that they were important. And I, yeah. I love that those things are not important for us anymore. Yeah. And yeah. So now we look at it and we're like, wow. These, I take it these so people, seriously. Like, the people in the Sea Org, man, <laughs> when I was in the Sea Org, like, oh man, like the thought of being, I, that I might be put on the RPF, which eventually I was put on the RPF, but just the, the thought of, mm-hmm. oh, I'm like in trouble. And I, there was always so much pressure and I was always worried and always just um, hyper vigilant at all times. And the amount of pressure that they mm-hmm. were able to bring to bear on a person is just so insane. So to be in a position now, that's why I say it's fun now, because it's really nice to be in a position where I'm able to pull things apart, really examine them and not just be in this blinkers on type of situation. That's the fun. For me, it's learning about it. I had that happen. Yeah. I love breaking it down and learning about it. And yeah, Mm -hmm. we're very similar in that regard, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's how can I change that? being out of this high control situation and you can see that in this letter because there's so mm-hmm. many systems in place that she's mentioning there's the reporting system she's saying things that shouldn't be report there's a knowledge report there's the maa i mentioned the chief maa which is the master at arms is <laughs> in charge of the ethics and justice and and the mm-hmm. organization genuinely like there's all these like labels and there's this very meticulous um, and very, very yeah. much Jane Doe one and her mother. They're both very much in this system. They're trying to point to some things within that system of, hey, this is how we're supposed to resolve this. And it's not resolving mm-hmm. because guess what? In that system, right. they don't really believe in rape as a crime. That's not even the harsh thing to say because it's true. Because from their perspective, it's, well, your body's just a body. Okay, then you're a spiritual being that's lived and lives trillions of lifetimes, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you've probably been yeah. raped a whole bunch of times. Why are you complaining? Anyway, get over it. We've got a job to do. Stop your H E N R. Don't get hung up on this. Yeah, we've got a planet to clear. So let's just get on with it. Danny Masterson and Luke Watson, his co-conspirator, continued with their lives. In fact, Luke today is off on Lisa Marie Presley's tour bus with her that is whom she needs on her line mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so she's being sarcastic she's <laughs> saying he gets to go right. on and do this like as if he hasn't done anything wrong four days ago march of 2004 
Danny Masterson and Luke Watson had their first metered interview, and much of their knowledge report they admitted was false. Okay, so Danny Masterson and Luke Watson wrote knowledge reports, and now this is the first mm. time that they're admitting that a lot of that was not true because, see, a knowledge report, you can just write that out. But in this, they're on a metered interview. So this means they're holding those cans and it's not an auditing session and they will ask you direct pre-prepared questions. Then she says that they were ordered to get sec checks. Mm -hmm. She says, I had hope. Since then, Danny and Luke have had their first and only sec check session. The following data was KR'd by their auditor. The auditor from the sec check session then wrote a knowledge Um. report. she's listed it out here. I just want to reiterate just a content warning because a lot of these are pretty graphic and detailed. If anyone's listening and that's a little bit too much for you, just so you know, the details can be graphic. So this is the following data. Per Luke, it was true she was very drunk or something. Per Luke, he refused to shower her because he had 2D flows for her. So let's... Let's just clarify that. So Luke says that she mm-hmm. was very drunk or something. So she's out of it. She doesn't have control of her body. So Luke says, mm-hmm. I'm not going to take her into the shower because he mm-hmm. had 2D flows for her. 2D flows means that attraction for someone, you're interested in them in a, a sexual or or even for just like relationship purposes yeah. that you're interested in somebody. So he was like, I don't want to do that because that's not right for me mm-hmm. to do it because I have feelings for her. Per Luke, he did not let Bree, Jane Doe 1's friend, and Danny's assistant on the property while Danny had Jane Doe 1 in his bedroom. Per Luke, he now claims that he had heard noises, not sexual moaning and panting as earlier reported in his knowledge report. Per Luke, he and Jane Doe 1 had a real say to calm that night, meaning that they had a very positive conversation which totally conflicted with his earlier knowledge report. Per Danny, she was very drunk. Per Danny, he was sexually aroused while in the shower when he looked at her behind, which contradicts his graphic knowledge report. Per Danny, she hit him while in the shower. Per Danny, she was all of a sudden sober because he showered her, so therefore it was all of a sudden okay to have his way with her. And she says, I believe that conflicts with L. Ron Hubbard Tech on how to sober up a drunk. And I do not believe that there is a medical doctor that will agree with Danny on this justifier. You see how she's going about this in this really roundabout de- mm-hmm. way, like where she's like, well, I believe that that conflicts with LRH Tech and blah, blah, blah. And it's so roundabout. Like, that's not even necessary. Obviously, what he's yeah. doing is. You wrong. should not have to justify. Obviously, she's not sober or consenting. But because in Scientology, you have such set and ingrained systems, it's like you always have to reference to something. You always have to qualify everything. And it's crazy. But I just want to say that in that one line, you have to understand what's going on in our head about how many checks and balances and this isn't in line with this. I was always needing to present my case if I ever felt wronged or something actually wrong was being done to me. I had to give justifications of this is X, Y, Z. Very factually, this is why it's wrong. Always. Yeah. And you feel like you have to refer to policy, which is what she's doing there. I believe that conflicts with LRH technology. It's like she can't just say it as it is. You have to validate it with something else and you have to qualify it with something else, which is interesting because when I I read that paragraph in our previous episode Mm -hmm. from The Body Keeps the Score from Bessel van der Kolk, where it was talking about 
this after a period of time of this separation between the person and their body that continues on and on. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is that the person must comply. They can no longer just have that direct connection with themselves. So they have to comply with this exterior system. And that's what they use to regulate themselves. And so that's what we're seeing. This is a really good example of how a person becomes so disconnected from themselves over a period of time that they have to refer to the policy. They can't just say it as it is because their own thoughts and feelings just on their own are not valued enough. They're not valid. So that's that's where this comes into play. And this makes more sense when you understand, okay, so wait, she was able to write this whole report, Mm -hmm. but she still refused to appear and give testimony that this had happened to her daughter. That's what I want people to understand is there's a difference here. She's still playing by Scientology rules. In fact, she never stops playing by Scientology rules. And Scientology says you cannot be standing in the court of law and saying these things that Scientology has done or a Scientologist has done. Her Danny, he ate seed her, meaning he forced her, basically. Right. So 8C is high quality control. It's a high level of control. So it means that you're able to move a person from one place to the other efficiently and without excessive force. So you're able to just take them and move the body. You have control over the body or you have control Mm -hmm. over the object. Yes. So in our normal talk... Yes, it would be called forcing. But in the Scientology system, this is effective control. Her Danny, he ate seed her to his bed and went into his bathroom. Parentheses, what for? Condoms? Question mark. Her Danny, when he returned to his bed, she made her quote unquote move on him, not the other way around. Her Danny, he put his condom on. Where did the condom come from? Answer the bathroom where he keeps them and where he just came from prior to her move. Per Danny, while he was on top of her, she shoved a pillow at his face. Per Danny, he smothered her with that pillow. He could have killed her again, she says. Per Danny, she grabbed him by his throat. Per Danny, he strangled her by the throat. He could have killed her. Per Danny, she was grabbing things off of the end table. Per Danny, he asked why she was doing this and why she was going to hit him with them. Per Danny, he grabbed both her hands and restrained her. Per Danny, he told her not to tell others about this. Per Danny, he did all of the above while having sex on top of her. Not having sex, but raping her. I just, that's not written here, but let's make the distinction. Those are two different things. Right. Per Danny, this was the best sex he ever had, which is further proved that it was an okay activity with a great justifier. He is in session. He sees nothing wrong with his activity. And we have not gotten to the Sherman tank. Sherman tank is the big over, the big withhold. It's the big thing, Mm -hmm. uh, the underlying thing. He interpreted her violent actions towards him as an invitation in all caps and request to have it done to her, not as an act of self-defense. And she says, I am dismayed why the auditor included Danny's justifiers. As am I. Per Danny, they had aggressive sex nine months earlier with her, another Mm -hmm. justifier. Well, by the way, this previous aggressive sex was Mm -hmm. also an incident of rape. 
it was not brought into this trial, as in it was talked about, but it's not the charge incident. There was anal penetration without mm-hmm. her consent. Make it very, um, very clear. So, yeah, just want to. Yeah. So again, again, just, just reframing yeah. the whole thing. Yes. The only aggressive thing that happened earlier was when Danny tried to sodomize her and she made him stop, which she had to go to the doctor to handle things. And she had to go, yeah, receive medical right. attention. Right, so he injured her. For Danny, she was never unconscious. Another justifier. Again, it just, it really comes through this report how, yeah. how much things are minimized down to the end yeah. degree. She can't even come out and say... She's saying yep. it, do you know what I mean? But she's so restrained. It's very saying. clinical. And also, this is per Jane. No one, the only aggressive thing that happened earlier right. was when Danny tried to sodomize her and she made him stop. Now, we know that's rape. We know that's rape. But you have to understand that they are so confined here right. that they have to be really careful about the words that they choose to yeah. use. So that's just from the, even what the victim's experience is here, a way that she's not able to talk about it in Scientology. She's having to reframe it. I can't speak for Jane Doe One, obviously, or or any other victim, but I wonder if this comes into play. I know myself as a sexual abuse victim that I played a lot of my assaults down because I didn't even understand at the time that it was rape. I didn't have that language and I didn't understand that concept for myself. I'm curious if that plays into that here. And again, I don't want to, I can't make an assessment or assumptions or anything. I can't speak for anyone else. Yeah. But I know that I've, I know that I wrote knowledge reports on what happened to me and it was very clinical and removed for other reasons. But I also just didn't understand what was happening to me. There's a lot of misconceptions with rape. And I know that in my mind, rape was something that happened in a back alleyway with like a stranger that jumps on you and, and you're kicking and screaming. I didn't realize that rape could happen with usually actually happen some, someone that you know and trust. It can happen within relationships, as we're seeing here. Yeah, I think that's totally accurate. That confusion. She knew Danny for right. a number of years. And also that he was Scientologist. And I think it goes to what your yeah. misconceptions are or your preconceived ideas or what your culture is or what, you know, what's been ingrained in mm-hmm. you, what you've been indoctrinated for, as you mentioned before, Victoria grooming. All of those things play a part in how we process what's happened to us, the language we use to understand what happened and how do we communicate that to somebody mm-hmm. else when and if we feel ready to do that. So I understand. And also, Victoria, in your case, layers, layers added there of confusion, just I think in terms of like your care dynamics and the situation that you're in and, and that's the true. person involved and the relationship. Yeah. And I think there's there's a lot going on. So I think all of those things come into play. And then by the time that Jane Doe One's mother writes right. the knowledge reports, Jane Doe One had already gone through her one-on-one handlings with Julian Swartz and where he directed her in what she wanted to write her knowledge report about the rape by Danny Masterson. Right. That he instructed her that she could not use the word rape. So we know that that's already, that mm-hmm. groundwork had already been laid to where it was impressed upon her mm-hmm. to be very careful about the things that she says and to not say rape. 
And I think that's what's coming out here. And it's just a further insight. I just think that would be really hard, really tough. Per Danny, she was never unconscious. Another justifier, how does he know when he had a pillow over her head or when he was choking her, she's lucky to be alive or he could have killed her. So how would he know that she was unconscious or not? Per Jane Doe 1, he left her in the bed alone and told her not to move. She was so afraid and confused that she went and hid in the back of his closet. To date, she does not have memory of most of Danny's version of what happened. She kind of remembered being choked, but not enough to write it in her knowledge report. But now he has confirmed her memory. So Jane Doe 1's mother asks, What does Shane, the chaplain at CC, int? want my daughter to do now that the above extremely gross, graphic, disgusting, repulsive, justified rape data is admitted to by Danny. So Shane, the chaplain of CC, has given Jane Doe 1 this program to follow, which is to read references, why people can't remember things, which alludes to that it stems from their own overts, so their own transgressions. She had periods of unconsciousness, and so there's parts that she can't remember. Take a look at the unconscious part and see if anything comes up after reading the assignment and tell him about it. Meet with Danny alone in a room, but security would be right outside the door because Danny wants to talk to her. About what? Don't know, but it's case gain for Danny, meaning that this is an improvement because he wants to get in communication with her now. That means that he's getting better. And that in Scientology is confronting. That means that your level of confront is coming up. Your ability to see things or look at things or people. Shane said he would be glad to videotape the room because Mm -hmm. she is afraid of Danny. And then she said, I believe that is illegal. Wow. I mean, oh, okay. So put put you in a room with your perpetrator. There's going to be a security guard right outside the door. He's going to have a chat with you because that's great because... Look at Danny though, he's getting up there and he's approving mm-hmm. himself because he's able to get in a room and chat to you. And then they're going to videotape it. Like, what? what is this? Is there a law against this? Like, I'm just like, I can't even, this is crime. This isn't normal. Jane Doe One's mother, she says, what the hell is this? LRH would have thrown Danny on that e-meter first thing and would have within minutes, not months, got the data from sicko Danny and would have thrown him overboard immediately. So there was a practice where they would throw people overboard over the side of the ship when they were at sea in the sea organization mm-hmm. back in the days. And by the way, that practice still continued on in the mm-hmm. Sea Org, but even though, because there's only one ship out there, which is the Free Winds, most people are land-based in the Sea Org. And so they would use a swimming pool, a lake, a pond. Mm-hmm. And when I was in the Sea Org at mm-hmm. Pack Base, because there was none of those yeah. things, they would just throw buckets of water on you in front of the whole group. She goes on to say, that would be justice. My daughter could be dead today, and we could all be confronting the fact that a Scientologist murdered another during a bizarre sex Mm -hmm. ritual. The media would have a field day with this. So we're talking about protection of Scientology. This is public relations issues. So, you know, maybe we should do something about this. My daughter has been being called a liar and under the threat of karma and expulsions for months. And now that we know the truth and cannot slip and slide around it, them saying 
we want her to get calm with Danny, that is not even close to standard ethics tech. This term COMEV, which is a committee of evidence, there's like several people that are brought together. Committee mm-hmm. of evidence is convened. Yeah. So they are brought together to basically, <laughs> it's basically like a court hearing, right? It's like you kind of have like a jury mm-hmm. in a way, but it, they're all Scientologists. They're all, um, and they're going to judge you by policy. In Scientology, there's the court of ethics. And then there is the committee of evidence. The committee of evidence is a right. higher grade. The committee of evidence could deem someone a suppressive person. Or you might be mm-hmm. issued like a series of punishments that you you have to undergrab. Scientologists have a romanticized idea of what the tech will do for you. They would think the tech works and it's going to protect me. But now, in hindsight, I'm like, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think the tech is going to do? What do you mean LRH would have handled this? I don't think so. Right. Scientology is built right. for this, to protect Scientology at whatever cost. It's eerie now, in hindsight, to read a letter from a mother like this, pleading with somebody to take care of their daughter. But it's like, they were never going to take care of your daughter in the first place. This is just, it's wasting your breath, basically. Yeah, that just totally goes to the heart of it, because I think that anyone who's caught up in a system where you're trying to address something in any kind of institution, group, or whatever, Mm -hmm. and you're trying to address a grievance, And we believe that that system, you know, you followed certain rules and you expect everyone else to follow those certain rules. It's just that moment of, hang on, I thought this system was supposed to work for us. And I remember having that moment as well, growing up in the Sea Org, where my father, who had sexually abused me when I was a child, it was very well known about and he continued on in a position of good standing. He worked in the gold rep office. And... Nothing was ever done. And I remember having a conversation with my mother. Once I knew Mm -hmm. that she knew about it, I then had a conversation with my mother. And I was like, well, shouldn't something be done? All these years, I've been so worried that I might end up on the RPF because I went too far with my boyfriend. And yet there is somebody who has done this and they're not even on the RPF. It's just this belief that this system is supposed to stable work. Your is rock. And then when you come <laughs> so up against it, you're like, okay, this seems, yeah. Well, what's So she's still demanding the policy yeah. should be followed. And she still believes that yeah. the only thing that's wrong with this situation is that standard tech isn't being followed. So, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting what you say there, Victoria. Mm-hmm. It's like just having that insight this now. This is the like, standard tech. The way yeah, that they're they handling it do anything is about it. what they're so supposed this, to do. This was all for nothing. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to turn him out yeah. to law enforcement. There's a policy that says don't do that. Yeah. So like they are following the policies. Yeah. So that's where it's getting, it gets real wild. She is being regged on the fact that it's good for Danny. He wants to get in calm. Being regged on something is you're being sold yeah. then. That's what she's being mm-hmm. sold. But on the other hand, for my daughter, they're saying we want to sex check some more you evil woman and we of course cannot lift the squirrel non in tribulation order because it is best for us so she's saying all the things that they're doing it's very clear but she's still kind of looking for this validation it's very interpolative means it's very upsetting to me to think that shane and the person running this cycle osa and whoever else knows the data that came out of Danny's mouth is so reasonable and has such low confront of evil 
that they want my daughter to be in the same room with daddy alone. Okay, so OSA there is Office of Special Affairs, which is like the intelligence sort of operation, legal arm of Scientology. And being reasonable about something is when you're like too relaxed on things, you're not doing things the proper way. Like mm-hmm. you shouldn't have a reasonable attitude. Right. And we need to get rid of any reasonableness. So it's just being too soft on things. I'm just going to read that line again. It is very interpretative to me to think that Shane and the person running this cycle, Osa, and whoever else knows about the data that came out of Danny's mouth is so reasonable and has such low confront of evil that they want my daughter to be in the same room with Danny alone. Or the second scenario is even more upsetting that they know the truth and will go to any lengths to invalidate, harass, and try to get Mm. my daughter to perjure herself so that their celebrity can walk scot-free. Well, okay. My daughter would never be believed again. Yeah. And she would be total bait for any sicko weirdo. Right. So she's saying my daughter would be really damaged by this. Her belief in herself would be damaged. Yeah. Where is LRH policy? Where yeah. is the justice Absolutely. code? Celebrities are exempt from these codes? When will we demand that inch apply standard technology? In my first report in November, I said there is an SP amongst this group of friends, and now I have realized that an SP is also somewhere in CC Int or above for this much squirreling to be going on for so long. LRH says it is at or near the top. So that means that the person who right. is causing all the problems for the organization is at or near the top because all the problems mm-hmm. then flow down. <laughs> And that's in reference to the organizational technology of Auburn Hubbard. I am not very trained. I have not done the PTS SP course, which is the potential trouble source, oppressive person course, which gets you to recognize oppressive people in your life. And how that Mm -hmm. affects you. So as in, it explains that you will be getting sick, you'll be on this roller coaster. And that's what it's described. Basically, it means that they're having these ups and downs in their life. So that it's like, life is good, life is bad. Yeah. Life is good, life is bad. Oh. I mean, that's kind of normal. <laughs> like, that's kind of how life kind of goes. But what they're saying is like, this is right. caused by a particular person. And so there's a handling that the potential trouble source is the person who is being affected by it. We might say that if we're talking about a narcissist and path relationship, it kind of is along those lines. And a potential trouble source has to make a decision. Are they going to handle or disconnect? Now, if they're going to handle, then it would just be like good roads, good weather conversations. So you just keep things light and you will just kind of like very neutral, let the relationship kind of play out. So if you're in a situation you can't disconnect from a person, you could handle it. That would be the way you could do it. And then the other thing is to disconnect. (laughs) This is all the very low level introductory courses where you're going to hear some things that make sense. You know, some basic stuff about communication, how to manage relationships. So in terms of this introductory course, not a whole lot of alarming things going on there. But what happens in Scientology then, as you become involved in it, now they are going to label who this oppressive person is, and you don't pin up a say. So when it's your choice, yeah, that makes sense. You know, oh, that, that person just, whatever I'm around them, they just make me feel terrible. I feel awful. That makes sense. But as you become entrenched in it, now Scientology mm-hmm. can tell you who of your friends is this oppressive mm-hmm. person. 
who of your friends and family you need to disconnect from. And that's where it gets real dark. She says, I'm not very trained. I've not done the PTSSP course. My viewpoints come from my ability to perceive mm, the elements yeah. tech I read or listened to and my past right. experiences. She's just really yeah. trying to qualify herself before she can give her opinion. And that's, yeah, just what we were talking about. All right. So she's really calling in for them to address the situation at Celebrity Center. And obviously that does not get done. My daughter's illegal non-interbulation order needs to be lifted. The field needs to be handled and all the black PR that has been spread out about her and us. I need to get acknowledged and eventually briefed. This is not too much to ask for. Looking forward to your letter. Thank you. Signed, her mother. So there you have it. Jane Doe One's mother's letter. hope that that has been helpful and insightful maybe give you a bit of a look into what the situation was like at that time and hopefully bring about some more understanding for Jane Doe One's experience what she went through and how the mother was impacted for Jane Doe One to stand up in a hostile environment time and time again to say what happened to her to share such personal and intimate details of the times when she was harmed in invasive acts We wish to express our gratitude for her bravery, which allows us to understand more about what happened to her and the role that Scientology played in the prevention of justice. Thanks, everyone, for sharing your stories, being vulnerable and honest. It's so valuable that we connect with each other, and I know it empowers others to do the same. It is the one thing that Scientology has tried so hard to prevent for so long. Real connection, openness, and honesty between us. So it's a really powerful thing to be able to do now. These are intense stories that can take some time to process. So make sure to be gentle with yourself, honor your feelings, and just take good care. For information, support, and advice regarding sexual assault, the largest national helpline in the U.S. is RAIN. That's R-A-I-N-N. Their website is RAIN, R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G. And you can speak with a trained staff member via the online chat or call their free helpline. The phone number is 800-656-HOPE. So that's 800-656-4673. If you'd like to jump into the conversation, please leave us a voice message on Spotify. And we might even feature it in an upcoming episode. This is the Lighthouse Project Podcast. And we will see you again soon.